0: Well, good morning. It's good to be back. Um, If I've not got a chance to connect with you before, uh, my name's Rob. I get to serve as the pastor, one of the pastors here at Eastern Hills. And I was out the past few Sundays. One of those Sundays was planned. Uh, Another one of those Sundays is if you have a lot of things ever happen in life where they stack upon one another. Yeah, it was one of those uh, 10 day stretches for me, but I'm excited to be back kicking off this new series, uh, Spirit Lead Me, because frankly, there's a lot of confusion that exists in the church and in Christian circles when it comes to the conversation around the Holy Spirit. For example, if you were to just be an outsider looking in, like you haven't read a lot of the Bible, you didn't grow up the church, and all you had to do was to sit and observe and listen to conversations around the Holy Spirit, you might have some of these questions. Number one, is he a feeling? Now, in the 70s, there's this great song. I call it the Ooga Chukka song. The Uga Chukka, Ooga, Ooga, Ooga Chukka. And he goes, ah, I'm hooked on a feeling. Right? That's how I feel sometimes when it comes to how we talk about the Holy Spirit. Like we're hooked on a feeling. Here's another question. Is he a force? I'm a big fan, I enjoy watching the Star Wars movies, but sometimes when we talk about the Holy Spirit, is this if we speak things into existence, we can manifest change into our life. Like the more faith I have, the greater control I have over the Holy Spirit. Here's another question. Is he our Jiminy Cricket? Is he that, that still small voice On our shoulder, speaking softly into how we should live our life. Put down the (laughs) donuts. Buy your flowers. Don't be a dummy. Laugh at your pastor. (laughs) Does the Holy Spirit work that way? How about this? Is he a ghost? I hope not because I've seen a lot of scary movies in my high school years, and I hope that's not how we experience the Holy Spirit. These are just some questions that one might have around the Holy Spirit. And over the next few weeks, we're gonna tackle a lot of questions, but we will tackle all of these today. But as we get started with this series, Spirit Lead Me, here's something that's true of us all. Everybody follows something or someone. For me, uh, I am directionally challenged. Some of you are great when it comes to direction. You can say, head east in such and such direction, and then you hang over here, and you go over that, and you just you beautifully know where, where to go, or tell me the crossroad or the intersection. If you get into a conversation with me along those lines, listen, just give me the address, and the Google will get me there. Maybe. Sometimes I even get lost in that way. But even beyond objects or tools in our life, Some of us are heavily influenced through podcasts, through authors, through movies or film, through pastors. You listen to sermons, you download them, you watch them. You listen to some of us. You're influenced by the pastors here at this church. Some of you have important relationships in your life, mentors, people that you turn to that have shaped you and and who you are today. And then collectively, some of us pledge allegiance to a certain political party or sports franchises or say, I only shop this brand. But check this out. This comes from Dallas Willard. He is a philosopher and had a lot to say about spiritual formation. He said, who teaches you? Whose disciple are you? Honestly, one thing is sure, you are somebody's disciple. You learned how to live from somebody else. There are no exceptions to this rule, for human beings are just the kind of creatures that have to learn and keep learning from others how to live. Today, especially in Western cultures, we prefer to think that we are our own person. We make up our own minds. But that is only because we've been mastered by those who have taught us that we do or should do so. His argument is this, that we are not born into our beliefs. We are not the chief architects of our governing philosophies in life. Everyone here at some point made a decision to trust an authority. And yet there's something within us that says, I do not want to be a robot. I want to have freedom to make my own decisions. And so when it comes to following after Jesus, we believe that we sit under his authority. And yet we use the word freedom often, that we have freedom in Christ. And how do those two things work together? Well, a couple thousand years ago, Jesus was having a conversation with some of his closest companions, and what he's about to say next would initially hurt a whole lot more than it would help. You can find it in John's gospel, chapter 13, verse 33. And he says this, my children, I will be with you only a little longer. Like after signing up to follow someone for a significant point of your life, abandoning everything you were doing before to follow this individual. He's now saying, I'm going away. You will look for me, and just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now, where I am going, you cannot come. After all of this time, Jesus was going to leave them. If you've ever had the experience or the opportunity to serve in the military, you may have had the experience of also adjusting to civilian life afterwards. Going from this season where you're told when to wake up, when to go to sleep, what to eat, what to wear, how to think, how to speak, to all of a sudden, well, what do I do now? And for years, the disciples, where do we go next? I don't know. Wherever Jesus goes, that's where I'm going. Whatever Jesus does, that's what I want to be about. And now he's saying he's going to leave. Sometimes in a relationship with God, you experience what I call the gap. You hear from the stage from people like myself, you should speak like Jesus. You should sound like Jesus. You should serve like Jesus. You should be generous like Jesus. You should be kind like Jesus. You should be patient like Jesus. You should be gentle like Jesus. All the while thinking, yeah, but Jesus, well, he's Jesus. He's God and I am me. He has serious tools in the toolbox, like the whole walking on water, water into wine, healing people, bringing dead people back to life, defeating death himself, creator of the universe, I make a good steak. I had this crazy stretch in my life recently where it started with what some many families have had in our community, like the, the whole when your child just like vomits for 48 hours straight and you're calling the pediatrician, is this normal? Is this okay? Are we going to be all right? What do we do? Had that couple days later, same week, sewage, backing up in the basement, that's disgusting. Next day, now the wife is sick. Car problems. Then we get to be like that couple on HGTV where they like hire like a contractor and things are just going horribly wrong. That was us. All completely isolated incidents. And so at this point I'm thinking, I just need a win. I'm going to mow the lawn (laughs) and I start the mower and there's smoke coming out of it. Now the good thing is that I was able to repair the mower myself and I am not a handy person by any means. Thank you. Praise God for YouTube. So I was able to fix the mower and so now I have that tool in my toolbox. But here's the deal, skills, talents, abilities, accomplishments, educations are not enough in and of themselves to follow Jesus. And so the problem with religion is religion says, here's the standard, go and figure it out. Jesus says, here's the standard and I'm going to help you. By sending someone a couple chapters later, John said, in the gospel of John, Jesus says this. But very truly I tell you, it is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Now this word advocate is important. Now, it's the best translation of a Greek word in which there is no English equivalent. The word is Periclete. It means to call out, to speak truth, to come alongside. Now, in the Roman legal system, there was no policing. So if someone wronged you or someone accused you of committing wrong against them, you would take them to court. And in the Roman legal system, it wasn't the one who had the best case with the best evidence that would be found victorious. It was the one that presented the best, well, Argument, And so what they would do is they would hire a paraclete and a paraclete would be skilled in history and Greek mythology and the, the philosophical principles of life. And he would be a powerful orator. And so he would come in and, and he would basically say, look at my left hand, look at my right hand. And then here's a little, little bit, a bit of truth about what's happening with this case. And if you didn't have a paraclete, then you were in trouble. And so now here Jesus is saying there will be a paraclete that will come along for the purpose of convincing. And yet if we go to 1 John Jesus tells us or if we go to 1 John we also see that Jesus is our first advocate where the Holy Spirit is another advocate we also see Jesus as advocate. My dear children I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. And so it is true that the Holy Spirit serves as our advocate. It is also true that Jesus is our advocate. Because our natural state before God is condemnation. But to be clear, sometimes when we think about Jesus as our advocate in front of our Heavenly Father the way that we visualize this or the way that we imagine this happening as if Jesus is pleading the Father, have mercy on them. Like they were a good person, look at their background, maybe trying to get them off on a technicality, but that's not how the conversation goes. Did they fall short of the standard? Did they honor God with their entire life? Jesus would say, no, they're guilty. And the problem's not the law, the law is good. And yet Jesus is advocating for justice and saying that you cannot take two payments for the same crime. Based on how I lived, based on my life, based on my sacrifice, that is sufficient. Only in Christianity do you experience the one who is Jesus, both as advocate or payment and our replacement. Religion says, just hope that it's good enough in the end. But it gets better, because Jesus says that there's another. There's another advocate. John sixteen seven. if you love me, keep my commands. Here's the standard. If you're going to follow after me, this is what your life should look like. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to do what? To help you. And be with you forever. So the Holy Spirit's not like going to the gas station where you got to fill up. Sometimes we talk about that way. Like, would you just fill them with the Holy Spirit? Like, can I get the charismatic blend this morning because I'm feeling a little down and I need a little extra? Doesn't work that way. Once you place your faith in Jesus, the Holy Spirit is in you all the time. Forever? Well, it means forever. To help you and be with you forever, the title, the Spirit of Truth. And yet, the Trinity is complex. And so far, I've talked about God as our heavenly father. So far, I've talked about Jesus as our advocate. And I've talked about the Holy Spirit as our advocate. And this is the part where some people check out because when it comes to God in this moment and the way that we're describing him, it seems too mystical, too magical, and therefore it must be made up. Some have even used the argument, well, the word Trinity isn't even in the Bible. Well, the word Bible's not in the Bible, but we're not gonna throw that out either. I think that the fact that the Trinity is complex is is not a reason to abandon it, but rather to acknowledge it. Think about it. Would you expect the creator of the universe to be easily understood in 30 seconds? For me, if there was a TikTok-sized version of God that you were trying to convince me of in 30 seconds or less, I'd be like, I'm out. And if we were listening to a lecture of a Nobel Peace Prize winner, there would be some things that we'd probably understand and resonate with and other things where we'd probably say, I got a lot of questions. But it doesn't make it any less true or real. Some of you are in the medical field and you've studied the complexity of the human body. And yet, in all of your education, and all of your wisdom, and all of your experience, there are times where you take a step back and say, I don't know, but it's real and it's true. The complexity of who God is is an invitation to discovery. For many years, Christians have believed this to be true, that the Father is not the Son, the Son is not the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is not the Father. That the Father is God. The Son is God. The Holy Spirit is God. God is the Holy Spirit. God is the Father. God is the Son. And yet the first time I looked at this, it was kind of my, you know, the way that I experienced IKEA instructions. What? How is this all gonna come together? But what this diagram is pointing out is that God is one in being and three in person. But the challenge is we often equate being and person as one and the same. But personhood is what makes who you who you are. For example, I am a human being. In case you thought I was a rock, I'm a human. But who, but who I am is Rob Ryerson. I have a heart, lungs, kidney, bones, brain, muscles. But who I am is incredibly compassionate and kind and tenderhearted and funny. My wife would be like, and who you are is a liar. When we're talking about personhood, we're talking about one with will and desire and conscience. Take a look. This tree, this tree is a living being, but no personhood. The dog, everyone say, aw puppies being but also one with will and desire and the ability to make choices. The cat. No personhood. No, I'm kidding. This is one of those conversations I look forward to in eternity. Explain the cat, please. But again, one who is a being that has the ability to make choices and has will and desire. This is important. I want you to say this with me. Being is what you are, person is who you are. Humans happen to be one being and one person, but God, Yahweh, one being, three distinct persons, Father, Son, and Spirit. And if we go to the Gospel of John, we see that they've existed from the beginning and they are all equally God. So here's the question, and maybe you've asked this question before. If they are equal, how can Jesus say that the Father is greater than I? It's a great question. I heard it explained this way. It's easy for me to see that the President of the United States is greater than I. Like his entourage, sure, but also his position and office as one of the most powerful people in the planet is greater than I. And yet we are equally human. Paul tells the Corinthian church that Jesus subjected himself to the authority of the Father so that the Father can be all in all. But the Father is not any more God than Jesus. They are equal in essence. And if you're sitting here right now thinking, eh, still don't get it, you're in good company. But don't run from the complexity The definition of a disciple is a lifelong learner. We will spend an eternity discovering the depths of who God is. But let's put some feet to this. So when Jesus says, very truly I tell you, it is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. He was pointing towards a promise. This promise has been fulfilled. The Holy Spirit has arrived, but in doing so, Jesus did not send a feeling to be chased. Feelings will deceive you. The Holy Spirit never will. Feelings are good. They've been given to us by God. If you don't have feelings, you are a corpse and that's bad news. And yet, when it comes to feelings, there are sensations and there are affections. Sensations are strong feelings that we experience physically. Affections are strong feelings of deep attachment. If we approach life with this irreligious mindset, we'll constantly be saying, I want to feel complete. If we approach life with an uber-religious mindset, we'll constantly be saying, I want to feel Convinced, The Holy Spirit arrives and provides a way for us to both be complete in Christ and convinced in Christ. The Holy Spirit fills in that gap between us and the standard set by Jesus. And so when we look to God, when we look to the Holy Spirit, it's not a sensation that he's pointing to. He's pointing to Jesus, most commonly through the scriptures and the more that we understand the scriptures, the more that we dive deeper into our understanding of who God is, the greater affection we will have as we discover the depth, width, and height of his love for us. He also wasn't sending a force to be controlled. A force is something that's saying I will control through my will and my desires. That the greater faith that I have, the more that I can manipulate or change or steer or direct. If we approach the Holy Spirit like the force, it's likely because we're trying to force an outcome in our life. I want things to be different. But the Holy Spirit did not come to provide us control. The Holy Spirit arrived to bring us convincing. And the greater our convincing, the closer we will be to God, and the greater we'll start to experience the power of God in our lives. Instead of trying to force this outcome, we're trusting his leading. And as we sung earlier, wherever he will lead us, we will follow. That's the Holy Spirit at work. But also, he did not send a still, small voice. Jiminy Cricket, great character in Pinocchio, but that's not the Holy Spirit. Last week, Chad did a great job exploring the different context circles. And so anytime we hear something in Christian circles, like you just got to listen for that still small voice, we want to ask questions and say, well, where do we see that in Scripture? Because we see it once. and the context of the story of Elijah and his victory over the prophets of Baal. And in this moment, it was a reminder that divine silence does not always mean divine inactivity. Sometimes when we're not sensing that I feel as close to God, it's as if God has abandoned us. Well, that's not true, or he's not at work. God speaks to us in many ways. Through the scriptures, we see that he speaks through the whirlwind, earthquake, thunder, fire, prophets. But most commonly today, he speaks to us through His word the scriptures now I will say this that when we talk about a still small voice I think this is the experience we're describing that when we first place our faith in Jesus something is literally being transformed within us and so there's a reason why new converts they're describing this deep connection with God because they've never experienced that before it's new, it's fresh, it's exciting. And so you might hear them say things like, I'm just sensing that this is what God wants me to do. Because there isn't years of all kinds of junk getting in the way of Jesus. And yet, when we are in His Word, when we are in community with His people, encouraging us, shaping us, sharpening us when we're serving his purposes and his kingdom, when we are being generous as he has called us to be generous, when we're sharing our faith, our testimony, our story with others, when we've done the hard work of going through the wounds in our heart, the things that we attribute to God that have no business being attributed to God. When we've done that hard work, all of a sudden we have this deep connection to God and it's like we're on the same page and we're in sync. Some of you have experienced this in friendships and relationships where you know the other person's thinking before they even speak a word, that it is possible to have that type of connection with God as if to say, I don't know, I just seemed like that was the right thing for me to do. And then you watched God intervene and do something amazing. Yes, God can work in that way. But let's just not call it a still small voice because that's not the clearest way of articulating it. So he wasn't sending a feeling. He wasn't sending a force. He wasn't sending a still small voice. What Jesus was doing was sending a person, one with will, one with desires. Why direction? So that when we respond to who or what we follow, that answer would be Jesus. Jesus' argument then to the disciples and his argument to us today is that the Holy Spirit in us is better than Jesus in front of us. You ever thought if, if I could just have Jesus in front of me telling me what to do, knowing how to communicate or who I should reach out to and how to spend my day, Jesus would say, no, actually, the Holy Spirit in you is better than myself out in front of you. Next week. We're gonna look at some of the practices of the Holy Spirit that help us see why this is good news. But my invitation to all of us this morning is to do this. In the weeks ahead, I want you to seriously think about why you believe what you believe or don't believe about the Holy Spirit. How did you come to that understanding? What has shaped you? What authority has influenced you into that belief and the reason why i'm asking you to do that is because the next two weeks what we'd like to do is collect your questions about the holy spirit what questions that you have we'll give you some instructions in the weeks ahead because in week four of this series the pastors the other pastors on staff are going to join me up on stage and we're going to answer your questions to the best of our ability and as much time as we have and the ones we don't get to we'll figure out a way to get you those answers this morning, as we wrap up our service, I want to invite the band back up on stage. And we're going to sing a song. And some of the words that we're about to sing are going to sound familiar to you. It's taken from the doxology. And in that song, we sing this line of praise the one Who is the Holy Ghost. And yet in this church and in Churches like ours, we don't talk about God as the Holy Ghost. We use the word Holy Spirit. And so one question is, why? Well, if you grew up reading the King James Version, in Old English, there's something that took place. First of all, the word spirit in Greek is pneuma. You see it about 90 times in the Bible. But during the time that King James was translated, for them, and using the word ghost, It's the way that we talk about spirit, and the way that we would talk about spirit, they would think about the word ghost. In a sense, if you remember a Christmas carol and the spirits, and so the way that we think about ghosts and scary movies, all of that, um, they would think about the spirit. And so we translate it differently today. So when we sing Holy Ghost, we are still praising God. We're worshiping a triune God, one who is our Heavenly Father, one that is the risen Son and one who is the Holy Spirit. And so if you're thinking this morning of how complex this is, my invitation to you is to stand to your feet and to just to worship, to praise God, that we worship a God that we cannot simply comprehend in 30 minutes and that we get to spend an eternity getting to know. Let's stand and sing together.